Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. As I was pondering our text for tonight, it kind of reminded me of a, well, you know that American classic pulled by most, by most teenagers, right, when their parents go out of town. The parents, right, they tell their teenage children, now maybe this is happening to you, didn't happen to, hasn't happened to me, but while their parents go out, they say, now listen, when mom and dad go out of town, we trust you, no friends, and definitely no party, right? We know that. That's the American classic, no party, right? And uh, we'll only be gone for one night, they might say, and with innocent eyes, of course, they nod in agreement, yes, mom and dad, right? No, mom, we, we won't even think about having a party. Maybe we'll just order a pizza. We'll watch TV. We love you, mom and dad. Well, mom and dad's trip, you know, happens to be cut short. They can't make where they're going. They turn around and come back and find a party, right? It's like, ah, busted, can't be trusted. So again, I just want to set the record straight. I never did this as a teenager, okay? But I did other things that I thought my dad would never find out about. You go, well, like what? Well, back in the day, right, right around June, so a little bit, July, um, we would go out and purchase, thank you, we would go out and purchase um, firecrackers, right? Firecrackers. And one of the rules in my dad's house was don't light firecrackers in the house, right? Don't light fire. I mean, that's a good rule. Don't light firecrackers in the house, right? Because it could burn the house down. Well, I'm a teenager and I'm thinking, so me and my friend, we're in my room and we have, we have these things that are called black cats and you would light them. And so we decided to light these fireworks, right? And we were throwing them at each other in my room. Okay? So then... We're going through, right, and all of a sudden it's like pow, 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 right? When it's all said and done, we had the bright idea. I don't want to get busted because dad said don't, what, don't throw fireworks. So we had the bright idea. We cleaned that room, right, top to bottom. There was not a single trace of any smoke, any firework, or anything else in that room, right? Until later on. I'm thinking, I got away with it. I got away This is awesome. Room is clean. That should have tipped him off first and foremost, right? Because I'm a teenager with a clean room. What did you do? But he didn't. He just sat there, right? So, like, growing up, like, with a single dad, because you guys know my story, dad would come, and on Sunday afternoon, he would do a load of laundry to get to, to stay ahead of stuff, right? And I hear the, he calls me into the room, right? And it's that tone where you know it's like, and he's like, were you lighting fireworks in the house after I told you not to? And I'm like, how did you find out? I mean, we even mopped the floor. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this was, well, what happens is when fireworks blow up, right? The black cats, little pieces of paper got inside the hamper. I got busted. I got caught, you know? He was upset. I don't remember what happened. I don't, I was, I was Hito boy, okay, so I probably didn't get grounded or anything, but nonetheless, I was thinking about this. I was like, and you go, well, Ben, why do you bring this up? Well, because I bring this up because I was thinking about this, and 
And last week, we learned that Adam and Eve got busted, right? They, they disobeyed the Lord. They, they consumed of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They, that's where they were. Now, let me just backtrack just a little bit, okay? They're going to come, and God's going to call them out today, just like my dad. Hey, come on up, right? But, but let's backtrack for just a moment. If you recall... God had created this beautiful garden, right? And it's this amazing paradise. Eden actually means delight. And so God creates this, this amazing, could you imagine? The temperature was right, the trees, the breeze, the grass. It was just amazing. But God also created two trees in the midst of the garden, okay? Ben, why did God create two trees? I don't know, but he did. And he said, and he said to them, here is the tree of life. This is the tree of life. This is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, these are the true trees. And here's what, here's, here's, here's what, here's what the Lord's command. In chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he said, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, quote, Of every tree in the garden you should freely eat. Man, have a blast. Freely eat. And he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it you shall surely die right? So God told man, out of every tree, have a blast. Eat the fruit, man, maintain. This is going to be good. And could you imagine? This was, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had any type of fruit that was just like, oh, whatever it was, maybe it was a peach or a nectarine or an apple, but it was just so good. This is the garden for them. This is the garden. And he's like, you can freely eat. And you know, I looked up at the word freely in the Hebrew. You know what it means? It means freely. You can freely eat. Go for it. The tree of life, have a blast, right? Eat of these things, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil, guys, don't eat from that tree. What's the consequences? The consequences of disobedience, guys, you're going to die. You're going to die. Now, I don't know if Adam and Eve understood death at that point. I don't know if they mean like live, dead, what happens, I'm not sure. They're in a garden, they're in, the, they're in delight, right? They're in this paradise. He says, but you shall die. Now, they probably are understood the concept. Now, again, think about, for, think about this for just a moment, okay, guys? Think about this. The command was not to eat from the tree, right? Uh, the command was not to eat from the tree or you would die. Disobedience caused the pair at this point to lose God's favor. Without the source of life, God himself, as well as the tree of life, Adam and Eve began what happened. Well, see, here's the point. They didn't die like, like she didn't go and just die like we think. Okay. But what happened is that as now she began this, she what? The aging process began at this point. Since Adam and Eve were created perfect, if you will, it took a long time for their bodies to break down, for all the functions to cease. Nonetheless, the pair received the punishment for what? Disobedient and death. So we go, okay, so let me see if I understand you. God says, don't eat of this tree. Amen. If you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, okay, you're going to die. So they ate, but they didn't die. But they did die in a sense that now the aging process began. You and I understand this concept because we don't live to be six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred years old. We get 70 plus maybe. If you're 70, 80, 90, you're definitely on borrowed time. That's not the point because you can be 90 years old and you can be like Jack LaLanne and you can be swimming, pulling boats. And the problem is, is that as you start to get older, you start to feel it. 
You start to feel that you're getting, I mean, it's the, it's the breakdown process. So we understand that he said this, but, but, but Paul tells us kind of a, a little bit different. Paul says, okay, let's talk about death for a minute. He goes, how so? Well, first and foremost, we need to understand that they didn't die right away physically, but it started the death process. It started the aging process. Once the canopy was broken on the flood, it even increased that even more. You can see it go from 900, 800, 600, 400, all the way through, okay? But Paul tells us, guys, in Romans 3.23, he says, okay, so for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that in Adam, all of a sudden, sin began to reign. But then he goes on to say this. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Now, here's what we gather. After the fall, the aging process began. But what we must know is that Adam and Eve died, but they died spiritually. You see, they experienced a spiritual separation from God, a loss of their relationship due to sin. Their first actions after sinning, guess what it was? To cover themselves. Something changed. Something happened. Oh, oh, stay with me, okay? Because what happens is that, the, yeah, the aging process, yeah, Adam and Eve didn't just go, oh, I ate this, I'm dead, you know? And Adam's going, man, I ate that too. And God goes, well, now i got to start over with somebody else. The aging process began, but what happens is spiritually. And we're going to see that because in the Hebrew context, it sees when God comes looking for them, it denotes, guys, that it was a it was a personal relationship, that they spent time together, that God actually spoke to Adam, Adam spoke to God, and they had this wonderful fellowship. And now something's changed. And you go, okay, so, so help me, Ben. Well, we know that they experienced, right? They experienced this separation from God somehow in their heart. They looked at themselves and they go, oh, I'm naked. What happened? And so not only, guys, did the aging process begin, but also the plan for God was put into motion to reconcile us back to him. See, we're not going to be able to cover it this week, but next week we're going to see that God, right, God sacrificed the very first animal to actually cover or atone for the sin. And of course, the first animal sacrificed would be a preview of Jesus going to the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. So right off, right off the bat, like we said last week, chapter 1, 2, we're doing good. Chapter 3, we see sin and it fractures everything like we're going to see tonight. It fractured and it separated. Now, here's what we need to understand, guys. In order for us to really appreciate our walks with God, for us to really appreciate and, and understand what Jesus did for us, though our sin be bitter, right? Christ is sweet. We have to understand that we were all born in Adam from that point on. As Adam sinned, we were all born into Adam. Adam sinned, we come out sinners. And so we go, okay, so I was born once. Jesus told me I need to be born twice, and so there's where we come to. We come to the place where you go, okay, so if I'm born in Adam, then I need to be born again in Jesus, in Jesus. 
So here's what we're going to do, guys. Let's read from verse 1 so we get just feel the weight of what's happening around here. And then we'll look at verses 8 through 19. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Now, here's what I want you to understand. Josh pointed this out to me. He thought it was a valid point. But he said, you know, the, the serpent means shining one. It means like, you know, we know that the angel comes as a, as a, you know, an angel of light, right? The devil comes as an angel of light, excuse me. But it doesn't necessarily, necessarily say that the, the Adam and Eve were standing right by the tree. I mean, this thing could have been so amazing that they were walking as they began this conversation. Interesting point. I thought, yeah, definitely. You don't know. They could be having this conversation as, as this serpent walking kind of shining snake. Hey, walk with me this way. Walk with me this way. But, and then you find yourself ending it up by where? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. I, I kind of like that in a sense because it makes me feel good that I wasn't hanging out where I shouldn't be hanging out. But I don't know if that was the case. But nonetheless, guess where they end up? The serpent, the shining one, was more cunning than any builder that God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And notice what the woman says. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, one of the things we noticed last week not only did, did, did Eve add to the word of God, but she also subtracted, right? The word freely. So we got to be careful there. She was like, well, God said we could free. God said we could eat, but that tree, that tree, can you imagine? There they were walking together. Now that, that is often too, a funny picture of Eve is walking with a snake, right? She's walking and they end up by the tree and going, hey, of that tree, of that tree. No, that's not. Really? Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw, right? I can, I can feel the fracture, guys. I can feel the world fracturing right here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband and he ate. Can I make a quick note? One of the things we need to realize is the question is, is where was Adam? Was Adam there? Now, the text implies that she took eight and then she just handed it to her husband. We don't know that. We don't know if she took and then she said she came over here. What we do know is that Adam wasn't protecting his wife. Adam should have not allowed, or, or I mean, he should have been that protector, provider. Don't be talking to this shining one. Don't be talking to the snake. I've got you. I've got you. Please don't. But nonetheless, now you guys feel it. Guess what happened? Adam and Eve took, she gave to their husband, and she ate. Now, here's what I'm doing. At this point, I'm jumping inside my, my, my own self going, Adam and Eve, please run to God right now. Just run to God. Say, God, we sinned against you. Right? Because that's what, as a pastor, that I would encourage us to do. Confess our sin quickly. We learned this in discipleship, right? First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That word cleanse in the Greek is like you get a bottle scrubber and you just clean it out really good. That's what I'm going. God, Adam and Eve, go, 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 go. And, and of course, the text doesn't read that. We know that they died. You go, Ben, but they didn't die. No, no, no. Listen, if you're taking note, jot this down. Adam and Eve died this day. They died spiritually. They died emotionally, and they died morally. All of those things began to, pff, gone. 
gone, right? And you go, well, Ben, how do you know this? How do you know they died spiritually, emotionally? Well, again, look at verse 7, right? Look at verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, last week we said really quick, guys, that fig leaves, right, they took the fig leaves and they covered the most intimate parts. The problem is, is that once you pull a fig leaf from its vine, it begins to dry up and it, and it actually brings this itchy powder all over you. So you're constantly scratching. So the very thing they were using is just, it's not good. It's not good. But they knew something had changed. They knew spiritually, we're not in fellowship with God anymore. Emotionally, right? I'm going to show you emotionally. Why? Because here's the thing, right? In just a moment, I'm going to show you that Adam goes from singing poetry to pushing his wife under the bus. The woman you gave me. Lord, look. I mean, and so emotionally, he wasn't, he wasn't that. And of course, morally, it says this, the eyes, the eyes of both were opened. Guys, this showing us of, of, of mental qualities, mental and spiritual faculties, they knew something had changed right here if you look that up. And if you look at the word naked, it's pertaining to be unclothed and bare-skinned. You go, yeah, man, that's what naked means. But in some context, it's implying shame. It's implying shame. It also implies a, a desperate state of, uh, a state of desperate poverty. So it's much, much more than going, hey, I'm naked. I don't have any clothes. It's like, oh, oh, right? I, I, uh, I, I'm feeling some shame. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit, uh, and then there's this, there's, there's, there's the shame, and then there's the, there's the, the, the destitution and the state of like, of, of desperate poverty. So what do they do? What would I do? Well, they went to cover their shame and poverty by sewing fig leaves together. And they try to cover themselves. You go, well, what happened, Ben? Guys, here's what happened. Adam and Eve went from innocence, right? Because they said, man, they were naked and they weren't ashamed and they were having a great time. Not only were they naked to each other, which is foreign to our mind, okay? Not only were they, but they were naked in front of God. They were having this wonder fellowship. They went from that beautiful innocence to guilt, Goodness gracious, I feel, I feel guilt and shame. And as I was thinking about innocence to guilt, I, I found this story that I thought would just paint a really neat picture here. Um, the story goes like this. A painter, once wanted, a painter once wanted a picture of innocence. He found and painted a little child kneeling beside his mother at prayer. The palms of his hands were reverently folded, mild blue eyes upturned with the expression of devotion and peace. The painter prized his portrait of a young Rupert above all else hung prominently in his study, calling it innocence. Years later, the artist was old. The portrait was still there. He had often thought of this painting, uh, painting a counterpart, the picture of guilt, one day, he purposely visited a neighborhood, a neighborhood in prison. On the damp floor of the cell lay a wretched man named Robert. Heavenly ironed, his body was horribly wasted, his eyes hollow, 
Vice sprouted all over his face. The old painter succeeded admirably, and the portrait hung side by side. Innocence and guilt. Oh, wow, isn't that, doesn't that story paint the picture of what happened? There was the innocence of the child, and everybody's like, yeah. And then there's Robert, and that was guilt. Every one of us in this room, before we came to Christ, we felt that level of guilt in our lives. How are we going to reconcile ourselves back to God? None of my good works, I don't care how good you were, I don't care how nice you were, none of my good works were able to overcome the feeling of guilt that I had towards God. And then that's when the gospel comes in and we fully understand the gospel that Jesus takes our guilt and shame. And we're sitting here going, yes, I get it. Okay, I understand. And that's when you guys came to Jesus. That's when you came and you said, listen, I purpose to follow Jesus. Now, one of the things, guys, that we just really, 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 really need a purpose in our day and age is that we make disciples. That we make disciples. And you understand that starts with the gospel message going from innocence or going to guilt Back to innocence. Oh, not that we're perfect, but that God sees us that way. And so we're like, okay, amen, amen. Now, here's what I want you to note, guys. Back in our study, note what happens next, right? You go, what's that? Well, I'm calling this message, God shows up, right? He shows up, and, and I love this. Why? Well, here's the one thing, right? I really didn't want to get busted from my dad. I really didn't want to get caught. Nobody really does, right? We think we can get away with it, but it's so amazing when God shows up. It's so amazing when you do get caught because then you can come clean. You can come clean. And so again, God's going to show up. Now, the one thing we must know in our minds and in our hearts, right? We know that God already knew what happened. Can I get an amen? He already knew. Okay, God knew what happened, right? He wasn't blindsided by Adam and Eve's sin. He wasn't like, I put you in the garden for five seconds. I went to check the food. What did you guys do? I mean, come on. He knew already. God knew. The Bible says that before the foundation of the earth was laid, right, that was laid, that Jesus was going to die for us, my paraphrase. Before the foundation, God already knew. So God says, okay, I know. He wasn't blindsided. But what he does, I find very interesting. You go, what's that? Guys, he comes asking questions. Why would he come asking questions if he knew? He comes asking for our benefit. For our benefit, right? Knowing and understanding. Do you get what happened here? That's Notice, verse 8, picking it up in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Okay, if you're not afraid to write in your Bible, right next to that, the margin there, just put a sad face. <laughs> you go, why? Again, in the original Hebrew, guys, this implies that fellowship has been broken, that they would have afternoon tea, if you will, every afternoon, and they would feel, and it would just be this wonderful time. And so what happens is verse 8 says, now they heard the sound. Everybody see sound? You can circle that word because it's better translated sound, voice, or noise. And a lot of translations will say a voice. So, so again, it's not just a, I heard some trees moving and I thought maybe that might be God. No, God's calling them. Hey, Adam, where are you, bud? Where are you, son? Adam, I heard the Lord's voice. And he was 
walking in, 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 the, in the time that we were supposed to meet. And what does Adam do? And I'm begging Adam at this point, go run to God, fall down on his mercy and his grace. God, I blew it. I blew it, Lord. I'm, I'm just so guilty. But he doesn't, right? Notice what does he do? Guys, they, they, he, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. I love the fact that God is always the initiator and man is always the responder. God comes looking for them. And he calls out to us and he saves us. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, I found Jesus. And Jesus wasn't lost. God, Jesus found me. He knew exactly where I was, right? Ah, when did you find Jesus? Well, I found Jesus back in 1986, man. No, 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 no. Jesus found me because God is always the initiator. And he's always coming after you. And he wants to, he's always there. If you'll take a moment, you'll just listen. Here he comes. And there he comes. And and what I love about it is that, help me, church, you got to help me here. you got to see it. He knew Adam and Eve his sin, and he still goes looking for them. For anyone else to paint a portrait of my God being angry and wanting to kick them out, and want, I mean, it, he goes looking for them. So don't let anyone ever tell you when you mess up that you've messed up so far that God can't reach you. Tell your friends, tell your family, you have not made a bad choice to the point where God's not going to come looking for you. Don't hide yourself. Because guess what? Because they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Innocence was broken. Their intimate fellowship. You ever wonder what that's like? You see, we have it now as born-again Christians, but I don't think we have it to the point that they had it. I'm looking forward to one day having that fellowship with God, right, in a place called heaven in paradise. I'm looking forward to walking with God. But I, I don't have it the way maybe they had it, but now it's broken. And you see, it wasn't just fellowship. It wasn't just God and Adam and Eve hanging out. They had intimate, wonderful fellowship, and now it's broken. And here's the game that Adam and Eve play that many still play today. You go, what is it? If you're taking note, you can jot this down. This is the ultimate game of hide-and-seek, is it not? <laughs> this is the ultimate. Do you remember playing hide-and-seek, right? My, my amazing granddaughter still loves to play hide-and-seek in the house. And you count and blah, 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 right? And so she counts and I'll go running to hide and... She looks for me, and, and this is exactly what Adam and Eve are doing. They're playing the ultimate gate of hide, hide and seek. God, we're going to hide, and hopefully you won't see us, and you won't find us. I guess if it was modern, God would be texting, hey, where are you guys? And then we would be like ghosting them, right? There's no response because we don't want him to catch us. That's, that's what I see. But he often comes seeking, although he knows exactly where we are. Right. Jot this down for future reference, guys. It's a cross-reference verse. Jeremiah speaks of this. Jeremiah 23, 24, he says, Can anyone hide himself in the secret places? So shall I not see him, says the Lord. I do not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. So he's like, how, how can we really hide ourselves? God knows exactly where we are. And then I got to thinking about this. Let me paint the picture. Adam and Eve ascend. 
God comes looking for them, and they hide themselves in the midst of the trees in the garden. It's the ultimate game of hide-and-seek. And I thought, well, what's the application for us? How do we apply this to us? And I thought, a lot of people still hide from God today, don't they? I'll, 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 let's, let's just break it down in two categories. There's a lot of people who hide themselves from God, and there are a lot of Christians who hide themselves from God. You go, what do you mean? Well, like what, Ben? What are you, what, what are, what are you talking about? Well, I, I think a lot of people are hiding from God as to not be exposed. Well, like what? Well, let's chat. Okay, for example, I, do, I jot down some of the stuff that I think we hide from God from. And you may disagree, and that's okay, but that's, it's just I think that people hide from God in their career. In their career. I'm going to build my career. I'm going to do this. God comes calling, says, I have a plan for your life. Here's what I want to do. No, Lord, I'm, let me finish. And, and you've heard it said all over. Let me get my career set up. Let me, let me give them 30, 40 years, and then I'll serve you. I'll be free to serve you, and I'll have a pension, and blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of people hide themselves in their career, in their work in their work. Well, Ben, are you saying that we shouldn't work for God? No, no, no. You should be the best employee you can be. You should be, you should be an employee, so the best employee that they look at you and they glorify God, but we should not hide from God in our work. I think a lot of people do that. I also think people hide themselves in relationships, in relationships, and oftentimes in wrong relationships. You know, well, how does that happen? Well, a lot of times, guys, we figure, listen, I'm waiting for the one that, that's going to be mine, and I'm going to wait for him, and I'm going to wait for her, but God, you're taking forever, so maybe I'll just have this relationship while I'm waiting. Maybe this is the one, and a lot of times we hide what God really wants to do in our lives. We hide in certain relationships. You know, a lot of people hide from God in religion. They'll get caught up in religion and miss God altogether. Why? Because you guys know that religion is man reaching up to God, hoping to talk to him, but Christianity is, man, is God reaching down to man, saying, I'm, 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 I'm going to come down to your level, man. And yet we try to reach up to him. And we hide in religion in hopes that... I also think that there's people who hide from him in church. You go, what's that? I'm saying that they... like like. They go to church, and they do church just to do church, right? They, they end up going, and they're, well, we, what do you do? We go to church. We go to church. And, they, and, and they're not really wanting an encounter, and they're not really wanting to grow, and they're not really coming with their heart open, but they're coming with, we just do church. Amen. Amen. And a lot of churches and mega churches, there's a lot of people who are coming to church. I mean, they're hiding from God in church. That's not all churches, guys, but I think people hide from that. I also think God, I also think, guys, we, we hide from God in our own righteousness. In our own righteousness. And I think that's what the Pharisees did. The, the, God's looking for the Pharisees. Now, you remember in John chapter 15, or Luke 15 that God invites the Pharisees to the party. He says, man, you're invited to heaven too, please. And it's the parable of the, of the two brothers. But they were hiding themselves in their own righteousness. They're, I'm doing it right. We do this. I'm religion. I'm righteous in my own heart. I, I feel like I'm doing what I want. And God's trying to get their attention. I still think people hide 
from them today. And of course, if, if they're not believers, a lot of them hide from God all the time. Just the, the problem with guilt, guys, is that we try to cover it with, with even more than this, right? We cover it with alcohol. We cover it with uh, relationships. We cover it with sexual partners. We'll cover it. anything to kind of numb the guilt of, of who we are. We don't understand that Jesus takes away that guilt. We really grasp that Jesus takes away that guilt and that shame so that we can be who we are. And God doesn't say, listen, I'm going to take away that guilt and shame, and you better, you better just be perfect. He says, be who you are and walk in progressive sanctification. Walk in, in growing more like me. And so we have to be careful. And again, you guys know this, and, and it's part of our core values, guys, is that we want to love, right? We want to what, love God, love people, but we want to love people in a way that we love them back to life and not so much point them, hey, you should be this and you should act like this and you shouldn't. What you need to do is you need to love Jesus and watch him do a work in your life. It gets frustrating when that doesn't happen the way we want to see it happen. It gets frustrating. Are you kidding me? You need to love Just do what I say. Do what I say. I had a, I don't know if you would call her well-meaning. There was a, a very religious Christian lady when I was growing up, when I was a teenager at the grocery store I worked in, and her name was Grace, believe it or not, but she was the most legalistic girl, woman I've ever met. Because I'm a teenager and I'm growing my hair and it's the 80s and I'm thinking it's cool. And she told me that in the Bible that, that men didn't have long hair. And I was like, are you serious? You know, and of course she pulled a verse, took it out of context, and, and I felt guilty. And I'm like, but that's not what God called me to do. God called me to be me. I'm not going to wear long hair forever. <laughs> right? My wife will eventually say, listen, it's not the 80s anymore. Cut your hair. Quit. Let the mullet go, bro. Let's go. Move on. But the, the point is, guys, is that we, gotta, we just got to be careful. Because God's word tells us that we're going to be all exposed in the light. And then even if we want to say, well, I'm going to hold on to my works. Well, the Bible says that our works are like filthy rags. And that he actually goes on to say that there are none good. No, not one. And we need to understand that prior to coming to Jesus, and this is so important, our fellowship with God was broken. And that's why we needed Jesus to reconcile us back to himself. And that's when we put our faith and trust in him. Right now, I guess you could say, guys, at this point, right now in human history, right? We're Adam and Eve. We, because we're in Adam at this point, we were all put on a death row. We are all put on death row. You go, what do you mean? Well, we knew we were going to die. We just didn't know when. And so we're going, okay, this is what sin does. It puts all of mankind on death row, but Jesus comes to save us from death row. Oh, we still die physically. But we're saved. And we're reconciled back to him. The... The picture I want to paint, guys, is that sin is real and it, and it created a real barrier from God and that's why Jesus came to save us. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. When you understand how bitter sin is, Christ is amazing. 
He's amazing. And it's not, and, and nobody's going to have to twist your arm to be like, hey, you need to give, you need to pray. Why? You know, it's, you're going to want to. You're going to want to talk. You're going to want to read your Bible. Nobody's going to have to be like, hey, did you read your Bible today? <sighs> yes. No. It's, it's not going to be that struggle because until you realize what you were saved from, and Christ has come, I want to talk to him. I, w- I want to be his disciple. I want to know him. I want to know him. Well, God comes like, guys, he comes to the garden. He comes asking questions. Look at verse 9. And the Lord God said to Adam, right, called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And I love that because it wasn't like, I don't know where you are, Adam. And it wasn't like, where are you, right? Sometimes you get the picture of a mean dad waiting for, where, where, come out. That's not it. That's not it. I looked it up in the Hebrew, guys. It's just, he's just coming. He's going, where are you? And so Adam responds, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, here's, here's what you need to know, guys. This is a three-question interrogation. Okay, Adam, Adam, yes, where are you? God knows. God knows. Fellowship is broken, and God asks us where we are. And, and again, right here, God confronts Adam and Eve with their sin. Guys, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Right? I love that. Because that's the same job that the Holy Spirit does to those that are unbelievers. Hey, where are you right now? And you'll hear me say, hey, how many of you are right with the Lord? How many of you feel like, and, and, and again, God's asking, where, where, where are you? Lord, I don't know if I'm in a right relationship with you. And then he comes back and he asks the second question, right? He goes, he says, uh, Adam, um, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? And he says, here's the third question. Have you eaten from the tree? I told you not to eat from. Now, again, once again, we, we need to know that God is all-knowing. He, he knew and he actually foreknew all that was going to happen. So the question I say is, why, why did you come asking questions, God? And I believe it's for our benefit, right? For our benefit. I want you to think about it, okay? Adam and Eve, where are you? Adam, where are you? Well, number one, physically. Is he asking for, for, is he asking for Adam physically? No, 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 he's asking... For Adam, spiritually, or spiritually, right? Adam, you're, you're not where you used to be. We used to hang out. And I love that, guys, because as non-believers, okay, as non-believers, he will come and he said, hey, where are you? Come on. Uh, it's, that, it's that wooing of the Holy Spirit because he loves us so much. But even as believers, when we get off track for just a moment, God still comes back and he says, Adam, where are you? What's going on? Because I remember, Adam, we used to have some great times. We used to get up, used to get up early to get the coffee. You'd invite me in, and we'd have some great, wonderful fellowship. Adam, you haven't, you haven't done that in a while. Where are you? And don't you just love that, guys? You go, I don't know, man. Because sometimes God's just always on me. He's just always, he's just always. Well, I would, I would call it today, guys. I would call it conviction. I would, I would call him calling out to us because he loves us. And he also asked, he also asked who, who told you you were naked? In other words, how did you gain this knowledge? You see, the question reveals that the only way Adam could have known he was naked is because he ate from the tree. Adam, who, who told you you were naked? And right here I'm going, Adam, would you just confess? Would you just go confess? And, 
God already knows, and that's the same thing with us. Guys, that's the same thing. We just got to confess. We got to run to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And, of course, he says, Adam, have you, have you eaten? God knows. And I think he says, just in case you might try to justify your actions, he says, let's settle the matter. Have you eaten? What should his answer be? Yes. <laughs> I blew it, right? Why? Because God often will ask us those questions so that we can take responsibility for our own actions. But man's response, a little bit different. Man's response, right? We can learn from it. Look at verse 12. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, Olivia's laughing, she gave me of the tree and I ate, right? And you know what I put on my notes? What a wimp. What a wimp right here, right? Why? Because he throws Eve under the bus. He throws Eve under the bus. And if you don't understand, subtly, he actually blames God for it. You're like, what? Right? Adam's going, it's, it's that woman, Lord. It's that woman you gave me. Right? And, and by the way, really, it's, it's the woman, but it's really all your fault, God. If you would have never made a woman, if you would have never made Eve, we wouldn't be in this mess. Right? I wouldn't have disobeyed you. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Adam, you're a wimp. Why would you call him a wimp? Uh, because just a few verses earlier, he was singing and quoting poetry. Oh, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Eve, you look amazing, darling. You look marvelous. He was so excited. He was quoting poetry. And now, just a few verses, guys, what's he doing? Jot this down. I think it's important somewhere. Sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. It makes you self-centered, and it causes you to blame others. Pastor Ben, can you say that from the pulpit? No, that's exactly what happened. Adam just got stupid, man. He, he's self-centered, and he's blaming others. Why? Because he said, the woman you gave me. Sometimes shame is the greatest motivator to put blame on others. Sometimes shame is the greatest motivator. Now, I wish shame would be the greatest motivator to repent and confess our sins, but for here, he's going to blame. He's going to play the blame game. Now, God is going to deal with Adam, right? But first he turns to Eve to get her response. Look at verse 13. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate, right? So, Eve, what did you do? Now, she plays the game, the blame game as well, okay? She's like, that serpent you created, he deceived me. I, I ate, I ate. Now, again, here's what we need to do. I want you to take a moment here, and I want you to kind of take the lens out just a little bit, see a little bit bigger picture, because I, I want you to see what's going on here. Um, we're going to see he's going to talk to us a little bit of, of basically in verses 7 to 13. We're going to see what happens spiritually, emotionally, and morally. He's going to talk about what's going on internally. Okay? He's going to talk about that. Okay? And then immediately, uh, well, immediately we learn. How, how do we learn this? We, we're going to see that he's going to talk to us externally. What's happening as he curses the snake and he curses and, and, and Adam and Eve. And we're going to see that. And then he's going to talk to us 
internally or eternally, should I say, as he, as he now prepares Christ. But again, verses 7 through 13, we learn what happened spiritually. What happened? It was the loss of innocence. We have guilt. We have shame. They tried to cover up, you know, they tried to cover up their with works. So in fig leaves, we learned that they were confronted. They put blame back on each other. They blamed God. And last but not least, guys, we learned that sin broke our fellowship with God. And so what happens, this is all going on. But now we're going to look at what's going to happen externally. That's all happened. We just talked about this. But now look what's, hap- look, what, look what's going to happen externally due to the fact that, they're dying, that they died spiritually. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you should go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Okay. Now, again, what does God do? He curses them externally. Why? Because this, this serpent, this shining one, is now having to crawl on its belly the rest of its life. It's more cursed than any of uh, other beasts. Now, again, we have to remember that the name serpent suggests what? The brightness and the glory. And you might be thinking, well, Ben, didn't Satan possess this? I mean, this is this. Didn't Satan come in and possess him? Well, why is he being punished to crawl? Now, I don't like snakes anyway, so that's okay. But why? Why? Because remember, this creature yielded to Satan and shared in the temptation, and it was judged and condemned to a lowly life of dust. Now, here's what we need to remember. The entire animal kingdom was affected by man's fall. As a matter of fact, jot this down. Romans 8, 20 says this. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. So we understand, guys, this is a great verse to understand, that all of creation was affected. It all fractured at this point. But the serpent... His form and his movements, they were altered at this point, right? It almost gives the indication that the serpent could walk, now can't, and is going to, well, he's going to be humbled. He's going to be humbled. Now, here's what I want you to write, right? If you're taking notes, he says, you shall eat of the dust, okay? It wasn't like this is how you're going to eat food, but it's actually a symbol of humiliation. So he's going to humble the snake. Now, I want to skip verse 15 real quick because I'm going to come back to it in a minute. So let's address the woman. Look what happened to her externally. To the woman, God said, I will, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, this is power packed. You guys know what God just said here, right? What did God just say? Well, before we look at it, Paul writes to Timothy, and I'm going to use the message form because I really like this. First Timothy 2.15 in the message says, On the other hand, her childbirthing brought about salvation, reversing Eve. But this salvation only comes to those who continue in faith, love and holiness, gathering it all into maturity. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception in praying in, in pain your you shall bring forth children, right? But your desire shall be for your husband. Now, a lot of people go, well, according to Timothy, the woman is saved because she just automatically has babies. It hurts a lot, but she has babies. But Paul said, no, 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 no. You understand, because the woman is going to now deliver the Messiah, but it also 
but, it, but salvation takes faith, putting your faith and trust in Jesus. It's not just in childbirth. You go, oh, so that's what he meant. The punishment of God is that women, help me out, women, is, will have pain in giving birth to children. It hurts. It hurts a lot. <laughs> and that's how you're saved. Well, actually, you're, you're saved because you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But here's what I found. And, and this will just be for Sasha. This will just be for Sasha, right? Because the word, um, let's see, uh, the word sorrow, right, and pain, it actually means, check this out, pain, hurt, sorrow, labor, and hardship. That's what it means. Okay? So, it's going to hurt. You're going to the doctor and say, God, is this going to hurt? Absolutely. Well, we've, we've come up with some ways so it doesn't hurt too bad, right? We've, we've kind of narrowed that down. But nonetheless, this is, this is God's way. But he also says something, and I'm running out of time here. He, he also says something, guys, he says that, that your desire, listen, your desire is going to be for your husband. And everybody goes, oh, she's going to love her husband. No, no, no. The Hebrew word here is T-E-S-H-U-Q-A-H. Teshukah. And, it, and it's actually used twice in the scriptures, one or three times here, and then in chapter 4, verse 7, and then actually in the Song of Solomon. But in chapter 4, verse 7, the word implies a desire to control or a desire to conquer. Did you all know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's exactly the most the most basic, straightforward understanding of this verse is that men and women now have an ongoing conflict from this point on. Listen, this would be contrast to the ideal conditions that they were in the garden, right? In the garden, they were loving each other. He was speaking poetry. There was harmony. And now at this point, here's what the word of God said. The word of God said is now there's a power struggle. Women, that still goes on today. You still want to rule over your men. It's that power struggle. And the best way to conquer that, to put that desire away, is to be filled with God's Holy Spirit and to walk in, 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 what, in submitting to who he is. But Ben, you don't know my husband. I know because I'm one. I'm one. But I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. There was a time in my marriage where Natalie and I, we did have this power struggle because I wasn't walking. I wasn't the head of the family. I wasn't the spiritual leader. And, and, and she was scared and she didn't know what to do. But when I took the reign of just really saying, sweetie, we're going to pray and I'm not going to do a thing until I hear from God, she, she lovingly came on my side and said, I'll support you. Well, Ben, did you make any bad decisions? Absolutely. And she supported me, but we walked through them. But right here, what he's saying, guys, is that to the woman, he says, you're going you're gonna to desire. And here's what it means. You're going to desire to control your husband, but he shall rule over you. You're going to desire that. And, but am, I, am I speaking any truth, women? Am, if, you say, no, nah, that's not. No, that's exactly what it is. He's going to rule over you. And, of course, we have the rest of the Bible to talk about that. Now, let's see. Let's see, guys. Let's see how this affected Adam, and we'll have to move pretty quick. I'm going to get Josh on the, on the what do they call it? 
The batter circle coming on up? Okay, okay. Verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat all the days of your life, both both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken... For dust you are, and dust you shall return. What does that mean? If you're here today, and you just got off work, and you're tired, this is why. Right now, remember, Adam had just a cushy job. He just had to tend the garden. Now God's going to say, it's time for you to leave the garden. Why, God? And he's going to have to go, and he's going to have to provide. And he said, the ground's going to be hard. It's not going to yield like like. It's just going to be tough. There's going to be hard work. It means toil. It means sweat. It means coming home. You're going to be tired. And that's what he's saying. All the days of your life, he says, you're going to work hard. And then he said, and the final curse is that you're going to go back to the dust just where you came. The very ground you're working at one day, and you're going, wow. Wow. Right? Now think about this real quick. Adam and Eve have seen sin. They've, they've had no fellowship with God. Okay, you guys with me? There's broken. Innocence is broken. God is going to kick him out of the garden. And that's grace. You go, why is it grace? Why, do I have to, why, do I, why does he have to be kicked out? Why does he have to be? Because they would go back and eat the tree of life and live forever in the sin state. In broken fellowship with God. And God said, no, no, see, death now has become a symbol of grace because I don't want you to live in your broken down body, in your broken down state for 900, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years. So you have to leave. You have to leave. Over in Revelation, you're going to see the same tree of life, guys. I don't have time. I have five minutes to, to close, but I want to close with verse 15. I want to close with verse 15, because we saw what happened to Adam and Eve spiritually. We saw the curse externally. Women, you're going to have pain in childbirth. Ouch. Men, you're going to work real hard and come home really tired. Now, how is God going to handle this eternally? Well, look at verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Underline that. Why? Because women don't have seed, right? They have eggs. Men have seed. What's he talking about? Well, he's going on before I say, he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is for my Bible students. This is known as the Adamic covenant. It's the first promise of a redeemer. God says, I will put enmity, hatred between Satan and the woman. If you have a pencil handy, the woman is Israel. There's always going to be hatred between Satan and Israel, right? Who will one day bring forth the Meshach, the Messiah, from Israel. You go to Israel today, you will see there is a hatred of the nations for Israel. It's a little tiny, and anyway, I don't have time. I just, I just don't have time. When it talks about your seed and her seed, 
and speaks of the Messiah, Jesus. He's talking about your seed. 1 John 3, 8 says, whoever continues to sin belongs to the devil. Why? Because the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this very reason, to destroy what the devil has done. And we say, amen. But he says, her seed. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Yeah, he's going to bruise your head. The Messiah is going to be wounded. We know that. He's going to be on a cross. He's going to be wounded. And he was, help me church, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. But then... Three days later, something miraculous happened. You see, the stone was rolled away and the death blow to Satan was given. Right here, the death blow. Why? Because the resurrection, guys, was God's ultimate plan to reconcile us back to him. And although we can come to Genesis 3 and go, oh, I can't believe this. Oh, I'm about to have a baby. This is going to hurt you can remember that you've been reconciled. And the beautiful thing is that no matter how bad it hurts, once you have the baby, God does something miraculously and you go, you forget all about that pain when you hold that little baby. And that's why some of you have a lot of kids. And then some of you don't forget the pain. That's why you only have one. But anyways, Father, thank you for your word tonight. We bless you. We thank you, God, that we learned and we can grow and we can be just uh, more like you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. It just, I wanted to paint, Lord, just this picture so we could see how beautiful you are, Jesus, to us. And that you paid the ultimate price to reconcile us back to you. So we love you. It's in your name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.